0: Well, amen to all of that. Wow. I have the privilege of getting to preach this morning, and it is a privilege when you get to preach because you get to help pick the songs and you know what the sermon is going to be about and what the message is going to be on, and so then when you come here and gather in the morning and you get to sing these beautiful truths about God, um, it's sometimes overwhelming because you know where the passage is going this morning, and um, so it's a great blessing to... Seeing these wonderful truths of God. God's faithfulness, that's really where it's at. Now in, have any of you guys seen America's Funniest Videos? You guys watch that? You guys love that show? Okay, everyone who loves that show is kind of twisted in some way, because the show, I, I include myself in this, because the show is about seeing people fail, right? I mean, that's why we tune in. We don't tune in to see if people will succeed in life. Um, That's what ESPN's top 10 is for when people do really well. But we tune in to AFV so that we can see them fail, right? We all know that one skateboarder who has great skill. I mean, he can do things that I could never even dream to do. And as he skates towards the steep flight of stairs and there's a railing that's there, We all know what's going to happen, don't we? That's why we're watching, because we know what's going to happen. He's not going to sail down that beautifully and land it, and we're all like, wow, he's really good. No, we're waiting for him to just bite it. We're waiting for him to hit that railing, and he thinks he's doing well. We all know what's going to happen. He has no clue what's going to happen, but he hits that rail. He's going like halfway down. He's like, I've got this until we all know what happens. Gravity wins. Gravity wins. Gravity always wins, and we somehow enjoy it, right? We like it because it's not us, it's somebody else that that's happening to. As we come to this passage in Psalm 89, we come to a guy who life has hit him hard. Everything seems to be going well, and this is, uh, seems to be going well in his life, and we see verse 1 of the song that we're actually going to sing at the end of the service t- this morning. But it's going to be sung in a little bit different way than we normally do it. Normally, we're like, "I will sing of the mercies of the Lord for," you know, it's very upbeat, very positive, and very like energetic. But as we look at this psalm, we're going to see that he's not singing this in a very energetic, peppy type of way. This is a song, a psalm of lament, a song of trials in his life. But it is a psalm of God's faithfulness. And we're going to see him crying out to the Lord in the midst of the valley when life has hit him hard. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we go through this passage together. Lord, um, there are many of us who are here today, maybe many who are watching at home where life is not going the greatest. It doesn't seem to be Um, a lot of fun to be living in this life. Lord, we pray that they will see your faithfulness through it all in the midst of the valley. We pray that uh, we all will just cry out to you as the one who is faithful, the one who is loving. And I pray that you'll just help us to keep turning our eyes to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So were you ever told by someone... That if you just trust in Jesus, everything will get better. Your life will just be perfect. If you just put your faith in him, everything will just start going your way. I think we all know that some people might have said that to us, or we might have said that to somebody. And then we live our life as a Christian and find out that's not true. It doesn't mean that everything is going to happen the way that we want I was catching up on a bunch of podcasts and there was one, Ask Pastor John, where he was asked, what should I tell somebody who says, I want to put my trust in Jesus? What should I tell them? And he says, tell them that it's going to be the most joyful and difficult time in their life. Joyful and difficult. I think that puts it pretty well, doesn't it? But we don't often think about life being difficult when we're thinking about putting your faith in Christ. Yet it's so clear from so many verses. Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. As if this is going to happen, plan for it to happen. In 1 John chapter 3, he says, do not be surprised, brothers, when the world hates you. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. So something strange were happening. Let's not fool ourselves or other people that when we put our faith in Christ, in a faithfully loving Lord, life is not always going to seem to match that. You'll ask yourselves, well, if God is lovingly faithful, then why did he allow this to come into my life? If God is sovereign over everything, then why did he do this to me? It seems like the greater understanding that we have of God. As we sung today, great is thy faithfulness. We know it. We believe it. But when that truth suddenly hits our life, sometimes we might see that there's a greater gap here, right? For those who are in Christ. Because for those of us who who might not know Christ, then it's uh, karma, right? It's a well, I must have done something bad, so this bad thing's happening to me. It makes sense. But when we see a faithfully loving God who sent his son to die for us, he loves us that much, my life is not going well. How does that match? I I thought God loves me. I thought he's faithful. I thought he cares about me. How come my life is so difficult? We're going to be looking at this psalm and reading it with that idea and that understanding that there is this doctrinal confession that we see here. Of him starting out this psalm by saying, here is what I believe about God. The guy who wrote this, his name is Ethan, Ezrahite. Ezra we don't know a lot about him. Possibly the brother of Heman, who wrote Psalm 88, or Heman, who wrote Psalm 88. In 1 Kings chapter 4, he's compared with Solomon. When it's talking about Solomon's great wisdom in 1 Kings 4.31, it says that he was even wiser than Ethan. So that's saying something, right? So Ethan, the guy who's writing this, he must be a very wise person if they're comparing Solomon's wisdom with Ethan's. It's written during the time of David, during the time of Solomon, so we kind of have a little bit of a time stamp there of when Ethan was alive. So when you think of receiving doctrine, where do you go? Typically we think of maybe going to a Christian college, a Bible college, We might think of uh, studying some commentaries to get some doctrine. You guys are probably here because you want to receive some doctrinal truth for you. We come to church to receive those truths. And I think we do that very well here at Calvary, proclaiming the truth of the word of God. But we can run into danger when that's all that we want. Just hit me with the doctrinal truth and then I'll be on my way. Just give me a lot of information so I can sound really spiritual and smart and then I'm going to live my life how I might want to live it. we'll see from this passage that we don't we can't get away with that our doctrinal confession and the truth that we know is going to meet our life and that's going to say something about what we believe but the bible has a lot of easy answers for life and the bible has a lot of hard answers for life some easy answers pray without ceasing god's word says it okay it's hard to do to always be in prayer but it's something that we okay we can understand that it says don't be angry Right? Who is angry will be liable to judgment. We get that. Anger doesn't really help things. Let love be genuine. There's some easy answers, but here we're going to find in this psalm a difficult answer, both to understand and to do. So let's look at verses one through four together. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations for I said steadfast love will be built up forever in the heavens you will establish your faithfulness you have said i have made a covenant with my chosen one i have sworn to david my servant i will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations we see this confession of god's loving faithfulness His loving faithfulness. God's love is steadfast. It will be there consistently. And as we talk about the faithfulness of God, we cannot get it confused with our level of faithfulness. Because our level of faithfulness, it kind of goes up and down, doesn't it? Right. Sometimes we might say that uh, we are... Faithful to our spouse, and what area is that? It's usually in the area of adultery. As long as you don't commit adultery, you are faithful to your spouse. We kind of limit it maybe to that one area. So where isn't it being unfaithful when we disregard our spouse, when we sin against them, when we get angry with them? Aren't those other areas of faithfulness? But yeah, we kind of kind of hone in on just this one area. We will call faithfulness. It could mean in faithfulness and coming to church. You might say, I'm faithful, that means I'm here every time the doors are open. Sometimes it might mean I'm here twice a month. I'm faithful twice a month. Sometimes it just means that I call this my church. I don't come, but I'm faithful that this is my church, even though I might not show up. Now, we might use the word faithful in terms of our favorite team. I'm sorry to bring this up. I wrote this down before yesterday, just so you know. But if you are a faithful Hawkeye or Cyclone fan... Sometimes that just might mean until the next play, when they blow it, and you're like, okay, I'm done with you. Now, being a faithful Hoosier fan, I saw we beat Penn State, ranked number eight in football. I didn't even know we had a football team, and we so won. I don't know what that's all about. So I'm a good faithful Hoosier fan, right? I didn't even know we were playing, and then they're like, oh, I looked up the scores yesterday. like, oh, we won. Okay, great. But I'm a faithful fan. I'm not going to root for the other teams. I'm faithful. Our faithfulness sometimes, when we use it with each other, it can mean so many different things, right? Levels of faithfulness. But don't confuse our lack of faithfulness to God's faithfulness. It is a very different thing. His faithfulness is forever. His faithfulness will never stop. If we are faithless, 2 Timothy two eight. what does it say about God? He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. It doesn't matter if things are going his way or not, whether he's going to be faithful, he will always be faithful. God never made it more clear than in the book of Hosea. I know the Calvary kids looked at this just last Wednesday. The faithfulness of God on display among an unfaithful people. They kept running away, they kept going away, but yet God says, I will be faithful and this is important that we confess that together that God is faithful and will be faithful. He is faithfully faithful. There are no qualifiers when it comes to God. He is faithful, period, into which we unfaithful people can say, Amen. Remember, am I right? That we serve a lovingly faithful God, and He is loving. He is loving as he chooses, as we see here, that he swears to David, his servant. He makes a covenant with him. God has shown his faithfulness in not some ethereal type of cosmos type of way, saying, I will be faithful, I'm just going to keep the world spinning, I'll just be faithful in that, and then I'm going to step back. No, he chooses to show his faithfulness in a loving and personal, relational type of way. And he shows that to us as well. What a lovingly faithful God. We also see this confession of God's mighty faithfulness. His mighty faithfulness. Not only is God loving and is faithful, but he is mighty. We find the psalmist searching the heavens to find somebody as faithful as the Lord. We sung about this already. Who is like the Lord our God? Anyone? Anyone going to check in? Anyone going to challenge God? Let's look at verse 6. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. It says, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. Is there anyone... That dares to challenge the faithfulness of God? Anyone going to come up to God and say, I'm going to take over? I'm better than you at this? Anyone? There was one who tried. Remember, we know him as Satan. He was cast out. He said, You know what? I'm going to take over. I think I can do this. I think I can beat you, God, at something. He's the only one who challenged, and we know what happens with him. He will ultimately be defeated once and for all. There is none. Like our God. None. Don't think we can challenge him even in our faithfulness. Verses 9 through 14 continue to show the might of the Lord. In verse 10, we see you crushed Rahab like a carcass. This is not the Rahab of Daniel. This is the Rahab um, that is a proud, strong person. And the name literally means proud strength. And God says that he crushed this strength. The raging seas, the enemies, the heavens and the earth, the north and the south, the mountains of Tabor and Hermon. All of them submit to, give praise to, and honor the mighty faithfulness of God. There is no one and nothing that can stand against your mighty, faithful God. No one. Nothing. It spans forever and forever. And ever. That is what faithfulness is. Then in verses 15 to 18, we see that he continues this loving faithfulness in regards to his people. As for his people, we walk in the light of his face. As for his people, we are exalted in his righteousness. As for his people, we are strong and given favor by this mighty God. And we are also shielded, and we are submit ourselves to this lovingly, mightily, faithful God. What a wonderful God we have who is mighty. Remember Ethan. He's saying, you are this wonderful, faithful God. I will confess it. I will declare it. I will sing of these mercies of the Lord. Not only am I going to do it, he says, but you're going to do it, God. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to quote you, God, on your own faithfulness. So this isn't just what I have said about God's faithfulness. not what I just believe. But he's saying, I'm going to quote you, Lord. And look at verse 19. He says, of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one. Here's what you said, God, about your faithfulness. And then he begins to recount the story of David. The story of God's faithfulness to David. We see in verse 20, I have found David my servant, with my holy oil I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him, my arm also strengthen him. Let's remember David a little bit. When God was picking out who was going to be the next king, do you remember what he said about David? He said, okay, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That's not always a great comment to make to people, right? When your wife is saying, how do I look today? You do not want to respond with, well, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart, so I don't want to, that's not, okay, just let's put that as a little side note there. But God looks on the heart because what happened last time, right? We have Saul, why was he chosen to be king? Because he was tall and handsome, like, he looks good, let's choose him to lead us. It didn't work out too well for Saul, turned out to be pretty evil, And then what they said, well, we're going to go a different direction. God says, I'm going to pick somebody who loves me. And so as God chose David, at that point on, it says in 1 Samuel 16, that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Steadfast faithfulness of God. We know that David blew it a number of times, don't we? With Bathsheba and Uriah, we know David sinned. We know he had struggle, but yet the steadfast love of the Lord was still with David. His promise was still true to make David's kingdom forever. Then anything that he did that was great, killing Goliath, slaying tens of thousands, building up the kingdom of the Israelites, everything he could, he did, all the credit had to go to a faithful God. Because it was God's spirit that was upon him. Verse 22, we see God crushes David's enemies. Any exaltedness that comes with David, we see in verse 24, it says, My faithfulness, my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name his horn shall be exalted. So let's not walk around just saying, Let's just try to be like David. <laughs> it's like, no, David had this amazingly faithful God. All the credit and glory goes to God for what he has done. Verses 29 through 34. Let's look together at these verses. He says, I will establish his offspring forever. Forever. It's a kingdom that will not end. And his throne as the days of the heavens. And if his children forsake my law and do not walk in according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. And then we would generally say, and then be done with them. Right? If they're going to disobey me, you're thinking of God, disobey me, that's it. It's over. Put them aside. I'll make a covenant with somebody else. Because you aren't getting it. Your kids are not getting it. They're blowing it over and over and over again. Is that what a faithful God will say? Is that what a faithful God can say? I know I made a covenant with you forever, but I'm going to stop that now. Can God even say that? Look what he does say. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the the word that went forth from my lips once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, his perfection and faithfulness. He says, I will not lie to David. God will fulfill his covenant. God cannot lie in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies, two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. He cannot go back on his faithfulness. He promised to David his throne will last forever. He says it doesn't even matter what his kids will do or grandkids. His own son ended up trying to kill David, right? And here he says it doesn't matter what they do. I will punish their sin, absolutely, but I will not lie. I will not remove my covenant because I am a faithful God. It's much like parents... When your children sin, you punish them, you discipline them, you show them right from wrong, but you don't remove your love for them. You don't take that away. God's love is so perfect and faithful. And this is an important doctrinal note for us to know. For us to understand that just because bad things happen to us, it doesn't mean that God has lied. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you anymore. He cannot lie and he will not lie. Let's look at verse 36 and 37. Beautiful picture. His offspring, David's offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. He says, like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies. I didn't often think about the moon as a witness You know, we often think of the rainbow, right, as a promise of God to never flood the world again. But I don't often look at the moon and just think of God's faithfulness. That even though the night has come, even though the darkness has come, that moon is a reminder that the sun is still there. Even though darkness and trials come into our life, we have God's word, we have his promise of faithfulness to remind us that he's still there. He still loves us. Even when life is hard and difficult. And that's where we find ourselves now in verses 38 through 48. When this doctrinal confession, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. He is steadfast. He is faithful. He is faithful to David's throne forever. He's going to promise this and he will never lie. But now I look at my life. How does this match Look at what he says. Let's look at verse 38. But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against who? You're anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins how could he say such a thing how could he say such a thing he has just declared for 37 verses his belief in faith in a faithful God he has quoted God on his faithfulness did God truly bring in his full wrath on his anointed no because they weren't all dead God didn't bring his full wrath. Otherwise, they would all been gone and demolished and done away with as God's full wrath came upon them. Did God really, it says in the KJV, void the covenant, verse 39? I like that word void. Did God void his covenant? After what we just heard? What was just declared? That God cannot lie? He can't go back on his covenant, on his word? So did he? Did he renounce his covenant? No but it's in these times of turmoil when life just hits you that we are tempted to think that God has gone back on his word we know the truth of who God is but we don't feel it we know he's faithful we know he doesn't lie but right now it just doesn't feel like it right now it's this is hard this is difficult most of the psalms that we read in scripture, they, they, us- they usually start on the downside. <laughs> they start out with the, my enemies are all around me. Uh, where have you gone, O Lord? And they usually end up in the heights, right? It usually ends up, but I will trust in you. But you are the Lord. But you are my strength. You are my portion. This one's very different. This one's starting out with, you are faithful. You are mighty in your faithfulness. God, you won't go back on your covenant. But right now, it looks like you've gone back on your covenant. Right now, it just doesn't feel like you're holding fast to your word. I think this psalm is a beautiful depiction for those of you, maybe right now, who are still in that valley, who aren't to that other side yet, who are still in the, the deep parts of just physical pain, spiritual pain, struggle, And you might be wondering, does God love me? Was God telling the truth about how he's going to care for us? Question maybe even, is there a God? These are very real and honest questions that we need to ask in those times of trials. Godly, wise people ask this. Bring this up. Ethan, who's compared with the wisdom of Solomon, he's asking this. So understand that to ask these questions and to to bring these thoughts to mind is is not sinful. It doesn't mean that you hate God or anything. It just means that you are looking at your life now and you're saying, this is not matching up with what I know I believe, with what I know is true. It's hard to, to reconcile. It's hard to bring it together. God, what are you doing? Did you go back on your word? He's saying it seems like, it feels like you are not matching up. With what I know, I believe. Let's look at verse 41 through 45. It says, all who pass by plunder him. It's talking about David. It's talking about David's offspring, the anointed one. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned your back to the edge of his sword. And you have made... Not You have not made him stand in battle. you have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth, and you have covered him with shame. Again, we see Ethan literally feeling defeated. The enemies are winning. How is that even possible? Now we are given this Psalm is very vague. into when this actually happens, what exact circumstance. And I believe that that helps us. It helps us that it's vague so that we don't look at this and say, oh, well, that was this specific situation happening to this person. It's not happening to me, so I don't need to worry about it. I think it's intentionally vague on when this exactly happens so that we can look at this psalm and see us, see our own personal lives and see the trials that we go through and say, Maybe ask some of these same questions and say, the enemy seems to be winning. Ethan still keeps some of the same his theology straight, knowing that it's God who raises and brings low to these rulers. He's like, you are having David's enemies defeat him. That doesn't make sense. You said his throne will last forever, but they're being destroyed. How does this work? I don't know if you've ever felt this way where you think that the enemy is winning or maybe your enemy is winning we have this theology again of god loves me god sent his son to die for me and be risen from the dead and and he i know he's faithful i know he loves me and he has promised these wonderful good things to me as i see in this scriptures and this hope of eternal life and is beautiful and wonderful and yet i'm sick all the time i am in and out of hospitals I am struggling with what my future is going to be and, and I, I don't know. I'm having personal relationship issues with, with others and it's just really been a tough season of life. And then I look over here, my enemy, the enemy of God, somebody who hates God, somebody who's actively rejected the gospel over and over again, living a life for themselves and just utter sin, and yet they seem to have it all. Their life seems great. They have all the money in the world. They can do whatever they want. They can go whatever they want. They seem to get away with everything. They're never sick a day in their life, and they live this terrible life. And We look at that and we're like, God... How is this working? I've been trying to follow you my entire life, and now they're winning? It just doesn't feel like it. It feels like they're winning. I know God will win in the end, but right now, God, why aren't you winning? I thought God always wins. Why would God give his enemy a victory here? Verse 46. You ever said this? It feels like it's taking forever. (laughs) How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old? Which by your faithfulness you swore to David. Lord, where are you? Have you ever asked God that in the trial? How long? How long will I be sick? How long will I go in and out of hospitals? Maybe how long will my wayward child be until they come back to Christ or until they come to know Christ? How long? How long will we be without a senior pastor? a real trial in the life of our church how long none of us expected for two and a half years right so it's longer than what we expected is it longer than what god expected but we sometimes feel it we feel we feel the time the older we get the more we just say god i'm not getting any younger if you're gonna make things right hurry up because i'm about to die i'm close to death he said how short my time is We never seem to cry out for God how long, O Lord, when we're on vacation or when we're playing with the grandkids. (laughs) But it's in these times of trials that we bring it up. We say, how long? It's like we are not meant for this. We're not meant for these trials to keep going on and on. And it feels like the wrath of God is just burning against us. Ethan asking here, will this last until my death? The enemy's winning for the feeling of your wrath upon us. Church, let me ask you this. Is God a liar? No. Is the enemy going to win in the end? No. Will everything happen exactly when you and I want it to happen? No. We say that as a declaration, as a confession of our doctrine. We know that truth. And then we can still come and say, How long, O Lord? If we know that to be true, God is faithful. God is loving. He is mighty in his faithfulness. But We still say, how long? God's timing is perfect. The enemy will not always win. God loves this church more than we do. And yet we still ask, how long? How long? We as a servant, a fervent servant of the Lord... We want to make sure that we are declaring these, even the low times of our life, that God is faithful. What do we do? We recognize God is faithful. Life doesn't seem to be matching that right now, and it hurts. So now what do we do? Where do we turn? Do we move to gossip? Because my life is tough. Do we move to anger? What do we turn to? How foolish and unproductive it would be if we turn to sin as the hope for getting us out of the trials that we are in. No, we turn to God. In Lamentations chapter 3, we read a portion of this already. But in 20, verse 27, I'll pick it up there and we'll see it here on the screen in verse 31. It says, it is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. Let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he, God, cause grief, though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast of his faithful love. For he does not gr- afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. And so, what we do is we cry for faithfulness. In the valley, in the time when things are the toughest, we cry out to God. We turn to him. We cry out to him because he is the only one who can truly do something about it. Because he's the one that we have our hope and faith in. He is perfectly faithful and good. We don't cry out to him just to get out of the trial. We don't cry out to God to say, hey, my life is tough, God. Just get me out of it. We cry out for God for his faithfulness. Let's look together at verse 49. It says, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? He's now questioning God, saying, Lord, where is it? I want to see it. It says, remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked, how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations, with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. We turn to God and we say, God, remember who you are. Not that he has forgotten, but Ethan is crying this out because he is currently having a hard time seeing it. It's like amidst all the trouble in this world, God, I'm going to have a hard time seeing your faithfulness. And I want to see it. I want to see it perfectly and beautifully in the best ways possible. He said, God, don't forget your character. Remember who you are of your steadfast love. I want you to know it because that's what I desire, is to see that steadfast love. He cries out for God to remember his people. Again, Not that God would forget his people. We know he doesn't. But Ethan is crying out because he's currently having a hard time seeing it. And he wants the world to know and see and feel the faithful, loving God to his people. He wants those people who are the enemies to see because they're having a good laugh right now. They're in a moment where they're succeeding and God's people seem to be failing. And so they're saying, ah, where's your God? He doesn't exist. They're laughing at him. They're saying, God, God doesn't care about you anymore, clearly. Look, because we're winning. He's like, I, I know God's going to win. God, I want you to remember your people, what's happening to them. Because I want us and I want them to be able to see your faithfulness. To see you for who you truly are. This isn't right, what's happening. And he cries out for God to remember his promise to the anointed, to his anointed. So he says, God, remember your character. God, remember your people. And God, remember your promise. He's saying, you swore to David that you would be faithful. His throne would endure forever. Right now, with them winning, they're not able to see that. God, I want them to see it. I want to see it. And his cry this whole time has been one of the future promise. God says, I'm going to establish David's throne for how long? Forever. This is a messianic psalm. It's looking, it's crying out for Jesus. Do you see it? He says, you have established your throne forever. David's kingdom, it will not end. It's all about helping the people of God for for all eternity, that his throne is going to happen, It's going to endure faithfully forever and ever and ever. And Ethan's saying, I want that. Right now, the enemy's winning. Right now, it just doesn't seem like you're fulfilling your word, God. I am looking forward to the day, one day, finally, when your beautiful loving mighty faithfulness will be on display and no one will doubt it no one will ever question or wonder if God is good they'll never wonder if God is faithful because there's going to be a time when every tribe every tongue and every nation will bow before the eternal throne of Jesus don't you long for that In the times of our trials, in the times of our despair, the moments, the seasons, the years of it, we cry out for Jesus to make himself known. In our life, Lord, we want to see it. Help us to see it, even though times are tough. We know we need to sing of your steadfast faithfulness. We know we need to do it. But it's just hard right now. We cry along with Ethan. We say, "Lord Jesus, come, <laughs> come back." That future, your people will be exalted. It's going to happen. It's in the future. I know it's down the road. It, it could come sooner than we expect. Right now, it's, it's hard to see it, but we cry out for that. We cry out for that future promise of God's faithfulness on display, where there'll be no questions, no tears, no wondering. If it's going to happen, no wondering if God loves us or not, it's going to be on display for everyone to see. So we cry out along with Ethan. As he says in verse 52 at the end, he says, Blessed be the Lord, how long? Forever. Amen and amen. And we commit ourselves to sing of that steadfast love of the Lord forever, even in and especially in the valley. That's why when we sing that close, the closing song of I will sing of the mercies of the Lord, that's why we're going to sing it a little bit slower than normal. A little more purpose behind it, understanding that in those times of trials, we are saying, I'm going to sing this. I, I may not feel it right now. It's hard for me to see it, God. I'm struggling with just following and submitting to your will because this is really hard. But I am going to commit to singing of your steadfast love. Let's pray. Lord, we understand right now that this world is not how it was meant to be. It's full of sin. It's full of death. It's full of hardships and trials. There are times when it seems like the enemy is winning. There are times when it feels like you're not faithful. There are times when we feel like nothing around us is just, it's not going to get turned around even before we die. So we cry out to you and we long for that day when you will make the enemy your footstool. We long for the day where sin is finally defeated and there is no more death or sickness or crying. Lord, we long for the day when all we can see is your perfect faithfulness all around. With nothing to distract us, nothing to dishearten us. We long for the day that all will see you for who you are, a loving, Mighty, faithful God. But until then, I pray that you would strengthen our hearts. Help us to not grow weary in our soul. Lord, we turn to you, and even in the most spiritually exhausting times in our lives, we will make our confession of doctrinal truth known and sing even to our own hearts, Lord. And we even sing to others that the steadfast love of the Lord will never cease. We pray this in Jesus' name.